Welcome to Dear Wallflower, your podcast advice column for the woman who desires to deepen and beautify her inner world. Every week, we'll answer a letter from listeners just like you, who are looking for insight and wisdom on the most pressing questions in their story right now. Make sure to stay with us until the end to hear our weekly recommendations on books, movies, music, lifestyle, beauty, and more. We're so glad you're here. Grab a cup of tea and come on in. Welcome, dear listeners, to this episode of Dear Wallflower, a podcast for the woman with a deep inner world. I'm your host, Kelia Clarkson. I'm an actress, writer, filmmaker, and the editor-in-chief of Wallflower Journal. And with me today is my lovely co-host, Jessica Schroeder. I'm a writer and PhD candidate, a food blogger, tea drinker, and adjunct theology professor. We want to thank each and every person who's tuning in today, wherever you might find yourself. We are very glad to have you with us. And we will be getting to this week's letter in just a few moments. But first, let's get into our pre-letter segment of the show called Roses and Thorns, where we recount our highs and lows of the week, starting with our thorn. So something that left us feeling dry or depleted or frustrated that week. And finishing off with our rose, something that fostered our inner world and brought us joy or built us up that week. So Jessica, what was this week's thorn and this week's rose? I'd say that my thorn was um, just riding this bit of a roller coaster of of what my life feels like right now. I'm nearing the completion of my PhD and honestly having no idea about what's coming after. It's a very strange feeling. And I think, you know, those big questions of like identity start to come up, you know, mm-hmm. okay, who, who am I apart from the things that I do? Because I am not just what I do. I mean, it's important what we do as it plays into how we live out who we are, but um, not reducing myself to that idea. Like what mm-hmm. I thought I would be doing, what I am doing or what I'm not doing. And so, um, yeah, I feel like I have a lot of, a lot of big questions that come up and sometimes I can hold them at bay. And then other times I just flood in and they just create this massive, uh, uh, anxiety or just doubt, um, even just numbness sometimes. So that, yeah, that's been mm. a bit of a thorn. Um, I would say rose wise though, um, in addition to this lovely little cool burst of weather that we just had this weekend, which only is temporary. I <laughs> still have to wait for true fall to come. Um, aside from that, I would say getting to spend some really good time with my husband this last week to just talk, you know, as, mm. as much as those big life questions rise, it's important to have trusted loved ones that we can talk through those things with. So we've had some great conversations and not to say that I, I have my questions answered, but I feel like it's in those moments that I feel more hope. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so glad. I really do think, because interestingly, I had a, a similar kind of like, I had a little bit more time this week to also just like hang out with Nathan and connect. And it's so true. It's like just having those extra, like 20 minutes, even it just fosters this hope and this connection and reconnection. That's amazing. I love that. Yes. Yes. How's your week? Well, um, good. So my thorn this week is that for some reason, my 
sleep schedule keeps getting pushed back and pushed back, even though like I'm trying to go to bed at the same time. Yeah. And I've just noticed that it's like, it's just been a little bit more difficult than, than usual to fall asleep, but I'm still waking up at the same time. So I'm just gradually getting a little bit less sleep every night. <laughs> so, um, that's a little bit of a thorn that I'm hoping to, yeah. um, yeah, to just not continue. But, uh, my rose is, so when this episode comes out, we will be just that little bit closer to fall. And that is my rose because that's just my favorite time of year. Mm. I just, I mean, I, I think I'm probably like every other girl in the world. I just, <laughs> the thought of autumn immediately makes me smile. It makes me excited. It makes me feel cozy and, and motivated at the same time. Um, so I'm just very excited to dive into this season fully. You and me both. <laughs> All right. So just a couple of things before we move on to our letter this week. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It helps to boost the podcast and get it in front of other people who might enjoy it and identify with the letter that week and make sure to share with a friend. And lastly, we would love to encourage you to send in your own letter to Dear Wallflower at wallflowerjournal.com. We would love the opportunity to speak into the issues that you are facing today. Okay, so let's move on to our letter, which covers the subject of finding the balance between two contrasting ideas. Dear Wallflower, I am feeling caught between two contrasting ideas, purity culture and hookup culture. I'm wondering if you can help shed some light. I've seen purity culture hurt a lot of young women and make them feel ashamed about their bodies and like their value is something that they can lose so easily. But then on the other hand, I've seen hookup culture also really hurt women, telling them that it doesn't matter what they do with their body, leading them to make mistakes they end up really regretting. Both ideas seem to have their drawbacks, and I'm trying to figure out the truth here. Which idea is quote-unquote more right? Is there a balance to be struck? What do you think? From curious and questioning. Jessica, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? I'm going to preface my advice by saying I, I do have strong opinions on this topic. Um, <laughs> I want to just be thoughtful, you know, in the way that I, I present those thoughts and um, yeah, just be honest going forward. Um, I will also say that I don't merely think that these are opinions that I'm sharing in the sense that this is quote, my, my truth as kind of people share these days. Mm. Um, I have strong opinions because I think that this is a matter that scripture and Christian tradition are quite clear about. And also one other thing to get started is full disclosure. I grew up in purity culture. Um, while I did not see it as harmful at the time, I think I was kind of the stereotypical like church going girl who like walked that path well and didn't particularly find it harmful to me. I have definitely since become aware of how um, it has been harmful to others or how some have spoken out about how they feel it has harmed them. So I certainly want to get into that um, in a bit. But first, um, I'll, I'm going to start out with a blunt statement here that I honestly don't think that there's any value in hookup culture. Mm -hmm. um, thus, I don't think that there's a balance that needs to be struck in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I certainly don't think the hookup culture is quote, quote, more, more right. 
Um, and yet this doesn't mean that by default, I necessarily swing to the other side and advocate like a purist purity culture approach in the sense that I think our, our writer means um, as it's been expressed in, in, in the past decades. To clarify, I think that the general heart behind purity culture is a, is a good one, meaning mm-hmm. like maybe it hasn't been expressed in the perfect ways, but that its heart is to instill in young people, especially the value or the importance of saving the gift of their sexual expression for their spouse, rather than casually giving it to a variety of partners prior to a lifelong covenant commitment. Before I say more about purity culture and recognize where it has caused harm, because I think it's important to talk about that. Mm -hmm. First, I want to further address why I don't think there's value in hookup culture. First, I would say that I think it lies to women. It promises satisfaction, but leaves them hurt, empty, Mm -hmm. and confused. It makes novelty and variety a huge value in a context where actually novelty and variety are corrosive and destructive. Um, It degrades the beautiful expression and the gift of sexuality. Um, I think it it makes deeply vulnerable and connective act of of sex into something overly casual. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, I'd say it steals from future marriages, the joy and the value of exclusivity. Um, So, in my mind, and I think not just in my mind, like if you look at uh, social research, even um, it's practice for infidelity and for divorce to to go from one partner to another. You're just, you know, a flight of fancy or, you know, whoever happens to catch your eye, whatever, like that, that is not we, we can't live that way in, in marriage and, and both on our God and our, and our spouses. So uh, it really doesn't make sense. Like even from just a social studies kind of perspective, like a, um, even for anyone who's listening, who may not have a faith commitment, it, the research shows that covenant relationships just with one person, like that is the healthiest um, kind of relationship to have and in which to practice a sexual um, intimacy. Mm-hmm. And once again, um, to to be blunt, um, I don't think that hookup culture merely leads to mistakes. I think that's the word that our our writer used. Living into hookup culture, at least for someone professing to be a Christian, is blatant sin. And as I was thinking about this and preparing, I thought to myself, you know, often we want to look at the Bible like as a rule book and say, well, where does it say explicitly? thou must not have sex before marriage. Like it doesn't say it in those exact (laughs) words, but that doesn't mean that that's not what it, what it does say in, in its broader, um, the, the message of, of scripture. Mm -hmm. And one thing too, that's helpful in addition, I mean, as someone who has a background in biblical studies and theology, I, I, I start to kind of squirm when I find myself wanting to look for proof texts where it's like, oh, I'm just going to take this little text out of context and look at here. Here's what this says. So it's important to view things within context. But also, I think it can be helpful to look at um, Christian tradition. So, for example, a well, um, a trusted catechism, for example, to see how how that catechism, that te- that church teaching has drawn from scripture over time and um, been a, a time-tested example of how we ought to live 
So Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind this digression, I want to just point to the, the catechism for the Anglican church that I, I found was really helpful to explore this topic of adultery. It's when it go, um, it's going it through the different, um, the 10 commandments. And so this is the seventh commandment. Thou thou shalt not commit adultery. And, um, question number 319 says, what did Jesus teach about adultery? So just, you know, after the old Testament law, we have Jesus then teaching his disciples and others and kind of bringing fuller expression to the law. And Jesus taught that even to look at another person with lust violates this commandment. So adultery begins with a lustful heart, but the Lord calls us to be chaste. And I thought it was interesting. The the next question then in the catechism says, well, what does it mean for you to be chaste? And the answer it gives is whether I am married or single, it means I will love and honor others as image bearers of God, not as objects of lust and sexual gratification. And I will Mm -hmm. refrain from all sexual acts outside of marriage. And then skipping down a couple of questions, I just thought it was interesting as well to look at this um, question 324. Why does, why does God forbid adultery? And the answer it gives is adultery is a sin against one's spouse or spouse to be against the sexual partners with whom it is committed against their children, family, and friends against human society by undermining the institution of marriage and against God in whose name marriage vows are made. So I just thought it was so powerful to look at the breadth of the implications of <laughs> such such a casual um, interaction that's become so normalized in our society. And I think that's one of the that's one of the tricky things about hookup culture is, um, you know, it's all over TV, it's all over the movies. Like it just it, it becomes this thing that oh, if you're not doing this, then somehow you know, you're not desirable or Mm -hmm. what you fill in the blank. Somehow it's weird to live that way. And you're right. I mean, it it is weird to live that way in the sense that it is countercultural. But if (laughs) the Bible calls us to anything, it's to live counter to the world. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, getting back to purity culture, then I do want to take some time to look at its harms um, versus what we still have to gain from its core principle, as I had mentioned above. So where purity culture seems to have caused harm is in a few places. Um, first, it seems like in failing to speak well to those who came to the faith after having lived loosely with their sexuality. Um, and similarly, then in failing to have a path forward like toward forgiveness and even this idea of like renewal of one's purity for those who were instructed in purity culture but didn't follow those ways um and then this idea of potentially causing women to feel ashamed of their femininity of femininity or their beauty even their their ability to be alluring mm-hmm. um it, it can make women feel like oh is that, that that that's something i need to to hide or to not foster at any point. And and that's, that's, that's tricky for sure, because we're closing it off from all of the world. And then you get married and it's like, Oh, now, now it's possible to, to express that freely. So I can understand where that can cause people to say, you know, purity culture has done me harm because 
now I'm having trouble bonding with my husband. Um, that's yeah. a very, very real thing. Yeah. I've, I've definitely heard, um, you know, people talk about their experience with it and yeah, I think a lot of what I've heard people express is like, I was told that this thing was so evil. And then as soon as I got married, supposedly it's the best and most amazing thing in the world. And how do I shift my mindset? Wow. I just, I, I've, <laughs> it's so interesting, isn't it? Like I love mm-hmm. my, my mom, my mom has, um, taught middle schoolers for many years about abstinence. And I think it's a terrific metaphor that she has used over the years about fire, that fire in its proper context is a wonderful and a beautiful thing, but Mm -hmm. like, so in, in a fireplace, in a home, for example, but when that gets let outside of its appropriate context, it wreaks havoc. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's just a great image. It, it, It saddens me so much that, it has been presented in ways that have confused or done harm in terms of the ways that young people view sex. Because like on the one hand, I feel like hookup culture makes it look really desirable, but also paints it as like, Oh, it's no big deal. You know, it's just an act. It's not going (laughs) to, not going to affect your emotions. Big lie totally affects your emotions, (laughs) bonds you to the other person, like chemically, yeah. I mean, um, there's many studies on that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, there's, that's a, like a conversation for another day, I suppose. But, um, it does, it does sadden me that there's not more nuance, I suppose, in, in how it's considered. I feel like the real big struggle in this kind of conversation is placing enough emphasis on sexual purity, like to communicate clearly how important that is as a, as a gift, it's something to protect yeah. and, and, and save like, like a wrapped present that you're like, you're keeping intact for, for your spouse. And I know I'm realizing too, I'm like, Oh, have I thought through that? I know a lot of people have used that imagery that I am a child of purity culture. Right. So, <laughs> but then what does it look like to have that nuance, to be able to explain to someone, this is a heart issue. If you have done, taken this action, but you are realize that it was wrong and you're repentant and you want to live for your future spouse or your current spouse, you know, in purity, how, how do we give someone the path forward? You know, yeah. I think, I think that's where purity culture has really left people kind of in the dust, so to speak, like, okay, well, what do I have now? Like what resources are there for me? If, if I want to walk that path of purity. So, you know, it, it, you can't turn back the clock. You can't, undo the experience that you have had, mm-hmm. but you can recommit to now forward. What is my life going to look like? And I think it's so important too, to think about how, um, how Jesus talked about adultery and lust and how he basically made them equal. It, it reminds us of the power of our heart posture that someone can be as pharisaical you know, as the, as the high priest himself, so to speak, and, and say, well, I, you know, I've always been a virgin. I've never, whatever, but it's like, we're leveling the playing field here. Have you ever thought about anyone, you know, lustfully? Mm -hmm. And, and that's kind of getting to the heart of the matter that action and heart are just as important. So again, not that you can't undo an action that has been done, but 
just because an action has been done doesn't mean that the heart can't be transformed afterward. And I think that there's so much hope there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just feel like I've had so much to say that I want to <laughs> overtake the conversation. <laughs> Not at all. But um, what are your thoughts at this point? Well, you know, I think it's so interesting because you and I, I think, had really kind of different um, upbringings here. Um, And I think this is such an important issue to discuss for women. Um, I know women who have been affected by both of these movements. Um, I myself have, I've been deeply affected by these movements. Um, You know, I've personally felt led astray and like many other women, I have scars now. And, um, you know, what's so interesting to me is we have these two like movements, ideas, philosophies, whatever you want to call them, that say that they know what is best for women. Hmm. Um, you know, if you follow our group, then your life is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Sorry, I just got a... I think someone just left a package at our door and <laughs> knocked like I've never heard before. Okay, I'll edit that out. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, if you uh, if you follow our group, then your life is going to be great. It's going to be um, perfect. It's going to be magical. You're going to feel all these wonderful things, right? And what's so interesting is on the outside, these movements really look like they could not be more different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one says that it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, the other says that it really matters what you do. <laughs> um, one encourages women to have as many meaningless encounters as they like. And, you know, it tells them it'll have no effect on them. And the other can kind of inspire this um, fearful reverence for intimacy when it's taken to, you know, an extreme as Jessica was talking about. Um, because I also want to, you know, preface this by saying like, like people, um, like Jessica, not everyone has the most negative experience with purity culture. Um, you know, it seems like it was instilled healthily in, in you, Jessica. And so, I'm just speaking from like the extremes. This is what I've, these are the Mm -hmm. negative things that I have heard from people. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah. So it seems like, you know, hookup culture, purity culture really have nothing in common, right? Um, My thought is that they actually have a lot more in common than it might initially seem. And I think that they're more similar in their effect on women than we might realize. And here's what I mean by that. Um, both of them are marketed as very empowering. Hookup culture says that it's very empowering for a woman to own this side of herself, to allow herself to um, have desire and to be in the driver's seat of her own life, to do what she wants, right? And purity culture also markets itself this way. It says that it's the only way that a woman can truly respect herself. It says that you know, a woman should require more than, you know, a few drinks. Instead, she should require the commitment of marriage before getting involved with a man, right? Um, Both of them are attempting to offer an answer 
to our human drive for connection and intimacy and affection and what these drives mean for women and how we can healthily interact with them. Um, and so I'm going to dive into, I think, how each group and each idea actually ends up really negatively affecting women. So hookup culture, I was, you know, pretty much surrounded by this. I was um, definitely not raised in purity culture in any way. Um, hookup culture promises to be fun and carefree and exciting. And it capitalizes on human longing for connection. And it offers us permission to access that whenever we want mm. and to follow what feels good in the moment. Um, but underneath the surface appeal, because if you think of it that way, you know, the surface is like, oh yeah, you know, you get, you get connection whenever you want, right? But it ends up cheapening our interactions with intimacy and it pays no regard to what I believe to be God's design behind it. Um, and despite being marketed for women, it, what I find is that it actually um, puts unrealistic expectations on them and their bodies and their emotions hmm. because it actually tells us, I, I know it says like, you know, do what feels right. I think it actually tells us to ignore our bodies because we're hardwired to release bonding hormones like oxytocin when we're intimate that does not matter if we tell ourselves that it was casual, if we never speak to that person again, our bodies did not interpret it that way. Yeah. Our body, that was very serious. <laughs> um, I think it also tells us to lower our romantic standards. You know, um, it tells us to objectify ourselves through these meaningless encounters that do not require the man involved to see the woman that he's with as a human being with hopes and fears and, and dreams and um, desires and worries. And he doesn't see her as a full human being. And switching over to purity culture, purity culture, from what I understand, from, you know, hearing from other people, it promises to give women a really great marriage. It promises them a blissful life you know, free of um, uh, regrets and healthy respect for herself. And what I will say is I think the end goal of purity culture, meaning a woman who doesn't have regrets, respects herself, has, you know, um, only experienced this very intimate act with the person that she marries. I think that's ultimately the far more positive goal, of course. Um, but Unfortunately, the way that it's gone about with much of purity culture, it ends up still being toxic. So what I understand is that um, purity culture can condemn women's desires and bodies as being shameful. And it creates in women this need to like kind of hide themselves because it forces, or I'm sorry, it focuses very heavily on a woman's purity instead of her as a human being, it focuses kind of heavily on um, what she has or hasn't experienced rather than her. And it instills this fear in women that if they make one mistake, 
their value and their self-worth just disappears. And there's kind of no way back. Um, and in the end, I feel like this makes purity culture no less objectifying than hookup culture when it's taken to that extreme because both of them are focused entirely on the woman's body instead of her. It, you know, can reinforce the idea that a woman's body is more valuable than her heart and her mind and her soul. And so to try to answer the letter's question, which one is more, right? Um, what I find is that this is a case with a lot of things. I And what I, what I mean when I say the truth is in the middle is not that like both of them have good points and we should do both. What I mean is you need to kind of take away these extremes and find that healthy area to exist outside of extremes. Um, because God designed the world without extremes. He's, he designed the world with um, perfect balance. And he designed us carefully with intention and, and care. And it's when we act in accordance with the way that he designed us that we find the actual freedom and the empowerment that we're searching for that both hookup culture and purity culture promise to us. Um, and so what I mean by this is we can tell women that their bodies are beautiful and intricate and created by God. And, and for that reason, to know it, to know, for someone to know your body is not a given. It's a privilege. And we can tell women that intimacy was designed with the purpose to bond us and to create connections, lifelong connections that are not easily torn down or ignored. And that our bodies know this intuitively and we need to listen to our bodies. We can try to lead them to understand the pain that can come about if we don't. But I think that we can learn to impart these truths without implying that she will ever lose her inherent value as a creation of God, or that the only, that only perfection will allow her to keep this value. We can tell women that their inherent worth is not something that she can lose, but she can lose sight of it by listening mm -hmm. to lies. That I think that's a great, that's a great clarification point. I had in, in my prep um, of notes, I was, I was writing down like this notion of a woman still having value as a person, even mm -hmm. if she has taken this action outside of marriage. Um, I love that you said like losing sight of her yeah. value, this idea that I think um, I got a little nervous when you were saying like avoiding extremes in the sense of like, but it's extreme to practice abstinence until marriage in, in our world. And I think that that's the yeah. kind of extreme that we can definitely still hold to. But I hear you saying the extremes of the objectifying yes. frames of, of purity culture focusing on, yeah, just, just you as a sexual object is really what either, either side is getting to. It's like, yes reducing it only to that and not seeing you as a holistic person that um, can still be in a relationship with people, but recognizing the beauty and the gift of what you have 
to potentially protect. And if it hasn't been protected in that same way all along, you can begin protecting it again today. You know, like mm-hmm. you still, as a person have value, um, Again, you you cannot undo things that have been like th- this idea. I've heard, heard people say, like there are like, there are memories, almost like quote ghosts that 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 may follow you, but that you know by the power of the Holy Spirit and even through time, that those things can can be dealt with and they they lessen. But um, yes, you do not lose your value as a person. I think that's something that has not mm-hmm. been communicated clearly enough. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely what I mean by stay away from extremes is treating a woman's, um, body as, as an object and, and treating her value as something that can be lost forever. Mm. I absolutely believe that, um, what we are called to do, of course, is only ever be with our spouse. I think that is the ideal. I think that is what's best for everybody. And I think we should try to do that. Um, I think that's what God wants us to do. And I think that, you know, that is what we should strive for. I just don't think that if someone does make a mistake, does do something that, you know, they ended up regretting that in the moment they really thought it was okay, or they thought it was a, you know, not going to hurt them or the right decision. It felt good. It felt right. Um, I just want to affirm that none of those women have lost their value. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that holding women to very, um, rigid standards of perfection in order to maintain their, um, their value or their self-worth and encouraging careless acts, I think are both going to lead them to very harmful and destructive places. Um, and so my answer is neither one of them are, um, entirely correct, um, and I don't think that they they offer women what they truly need. So uh, I'll wrap this up just by saying that I hope that any women listening who've been affected by one or both of these movements, I I hope that you can be encouraged by this and um, and hopefully find find a way forward if you if you've been searching for one. So I hope that um, Jessica and I were able to offer some some food for thought today. All right. So it's time for the baby suggest segment of the podcast where we suggest to you the things that we have been reading, watching, eating, or wearing this week that made us really happy to be alive. Everything we suggest will be linked in the description of this episode for you to check out. So Jessica, what is your suggestion this week? Well, speaking of food for thought, um, based on something I've been eat- eating a lot lately, um, Daniel and I have gotten a lot of fresh garden tomatoes from our in-laws, or my in-laws, his parents. <laughs> and it's just been so lovely to eat those with toast and balsamic vinegar. And my recommendation is what else I've been adding to that con- um, combination, and that is homemade tofu feta. So regular mm. listeners will probably know that I eat a predominantly whole food plant-based and I absolutely love this tofu feta. It is like amazing. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, ah, tofu. I'm like, Hey, you got to try <laughs> like these different ways that I am figuring out how to use tofu. It is amazing. And so just so different than like, you know, the slab of tofu you might get like on a pad thai or in your um, mm-hmm. miso soup. So it, 
anyway, it's fabulous. Unlike anywhere you'd use feta, like here with fresh tomatoes, um, in pasta, on a salad, pizza, you name it. Um, I actually probably make it almost every week. That's how much I love it. So wow, yeah, <laughs> it's super easy as well. So, um, and it gets better as it sits in the fridge. So it's the kind of thing that you can make it ahead of time and just like use it little bits at a time. Anyway, I, div- I digress. You can find this recipe in a free collection of five recipes that I've developed and we'll link to that. So if listeners want to give it a try, they can. Amazing. Well, also speaking of food for thought, fall is approaching. This is the <laughs> second time I've said this and I'm so excited for anyone that can't tell, can't tell, but to me, that means more baking adventures. Yes. I love baking so much. Um, and so I'm going to recommend this really, really good cinnamon roll recipe that I came across a few years ago. And it was the first cinnamon roll I'd ever made. I was a little bit scared um, because, you know, everyone talks about making bread is really hard and all types of things. It was actually so easy if you just stick to it, if you just, you know, listen and and all of that. Um, but so anyone that's ever had Cinnabon... I adore Cinnabon. It tastes exactly like Cinnabon. And so uh, it's not healthy, of course, but it's it's good for celebratory days and, and um, holidays that are coming up, that are fast approaching. And it is just the best uh, cinnamon roll recipe that I've ever tried. So that will be linked for you guys. And don't oh, be afraid of bread. <laughs> don't don't be afraid of bread. I I don't, I kind of feel like, the way that people speak about making bread is just not exactly truthful. Mm. I don't think it's that scary. It's Maybe, not scary. D- yeah. You, I, don't I know mean, if I just had a I great think, experience, but yeah, I think everybody <laughs> has probably one or two flop experiences and there, there's definitely a learning curve, but depending on what recipe you start with too, and there's all the different factors that can affect it. But I think if you, if you're curious and want to give it a try and get, try a couple times, like, Mm-hmm. You'll get over the hump and it becomes a wonderful lifelong love of bread making. <laughs> <laughs> it's also incredibly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Therapeutic, calm, satisfying, satisfying. And you get to pull it out of the oven and put your knife into it and it's crunchy and wonderful. Amazing. Um, yeah, I just love kneading bread as well. It's a lot of fun, honestly. Mm. So mm-hmm. if anyone hasn't made bread, that's the third suggestion. Yes. Week, just make, make bread. bread. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To wrap up this episode, Jessica, how can listeners find and connect with you? Listeners can find me on my food and lifestyle blog, thisrealjourney.com, on Instagram at Jessica J. Schroeder, and my substack at jessicajschroeder.substack.com. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can search my name on any of the socials and reach out. And of course, check out Wallflower Journals, wallflower journal there's only one (laughs) for new articles about relationships beauty recipes personal stories and so much more we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll talk to you next week thank you so much for listening to dear wallflower today if you have a question you'd like answered you can send your letter to dearwallflower at wallflowerjournal.com every letter we read will be kept totally anonymous We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.